This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Ulster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Back after a week off with the very exciting episode number of episode 47. It's a very big number in Star Trek lore. That's right. We'll have to make many, many obscure 47 references during the podcast or oh. we'll just... Is that going to be it? That's a challenge, but <laughs> let's let's hope it goes well. I'm going to keep trying. But we do have a lot of news to cover because we've been away. So I think we should start with the news we got yesterday, I think, about Comic-Con at home. So Paramount Plus is going to be doing a bunch of panels focusing on animation this year at Comic-Con at home. And two of those will be Star Trek, which are Star Trek Prodigy and Star Trek Lower Decks and season two. Just right. With the, yes. with the focus on season two. Um, the Prodigy panel is kind of a big deal in that this is the first time we're going to be seeing the cast who were just recently announced um, along with Kate Mulgrew, who um, has done a panel before and the Hageman brothers are going to be there. There's no promise on if they're going to reveal any footage or trailer or anything, but I mean, I think they have to, they have to have something and a date, a release date. We all we know is 2021. So we're hoping, you know, that we actually learn more. And every time they've done a panel on prodigy in the past, we've learned, they've revealed something, we've learned something. So I don't think they can get away with just nothing. Um, and, And, you know, just talking. So, but with Lower Decks, which is the cast we know, um, and Mike McMahon, they did say there's going to be an extended look at season two, which is coming on August 12th. And this is just going to be just a few weeks before that premiere. So this is all going to be on Friday, <laughs> July 23rd, 10 a.m. Pacific time. It's all going to be on YouTube. We'll we'll be reporting on this on the site. We'll have all the videos on the site. There's an article now with the link to where you can watch it live with all the details up at trekmovie.com. I mean, you know, now I think some fans are going to go, well, what about all the, um, you know, the three live action shows? Why isn't there a Strange New Worlds panel? Why isn't there? I think we've seen in the last year, because remember last year, Comic-Con at home, they did a bunch of panels, but they all kind of, sucked really um oh, yeah 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 and for, for whatever reason i think they're now and they did like nothing at wondercon the virtual wondercon so at least for virtual events they're they're now getting more into doing their own because it was a really good star trek day set of panels last september which paramount did on their own and then this year they did a lot of stuff for first contact day and then they released a bunch of stuff on Captain Picard Day. So I think they're kind of and, and we're seeing Disney do this and others like and DC's doing this that at, at least for virtual events these companies are doing more on their own as opposed to being part of these big virtual events which is the but this is probably going to be the last virtual San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be in person next year. But I do, you know, obviously the value of having stuff at Comic-Con is you have much more involvement from the press, from people who are going to report on all your stuff. And since Prodigy specifically is trying to expand the Star Trek audience, um, it's a good place to put some to put some exclusive, something new, and get some reporting done. Because that'll just spread in a 
in a wider way than it would just Star Trek Day. Yeah. Although, you know, the, not a lot of press buzz came out of last summer's Comic-Con at home. So I think they're they're realizing that it's kind of a limited opportunity. So they're focusing on one thing they're calling peak animation because they're doing they're actually doing panels on a couple of other non-Star Trek animation shows um, as well. So that they just have a simple message for this year's Comic-Con, which is Paramount Plus has animation too. Right. You know, the, yep. and, um, you know, half Star Trek, half not Star Trek. So we're still waiting to see something from Strange New Worlds, but hopefully that'll come soon. Well, I, I expect New York Comic-Con. Yes, which I hope to be at. In uh, early October. It's always October. So who knows what I will be doing in October. But let's hope it'll be me at Comic-Con. But we do have a little bit of news from Strange New Worlds. From its its delightful captain, Anson Mount, who posted on, I think it was Twitter. Was it Twitter? Instagram? Both, maybe. Um, As they were starting to shoot the last episode of season one. Which is, you know, in the world of COVID, that's pretty amazing yeah. because they just started in February. And, you know, in the pre-pandemic days, the shooting schedule was roughly two weeks an episode. And they are basically, you know, at that, maybe thrown an extra week or so. Um, but uh, it really hasn't slowed them down. And uh, so... They're going to be done by, you know, in a couple of weeks, basically, yeah. with Strange New Worlds. And all those precautions have been paying off and working because they've managed to do it all safely. So Right. They had a little scare on the set. There was like a guest star, but it didn't slow down the production. But they isolated a couple people um, and they just kept going. Yeah. And, and I guess replaced that, you know, Aww. random guest star. That's sad. The other thing he wanted to say um, with his message was he talked about how old school fans, his wording, are going to, you know, uh, be very excited about the show. Which we've been hearing for a while and have expressed our mixed work. That sounds good and that sounds risky (laughs) in equal measure. But he's speaking as a old school fan himself. So he's now lived through nine out of 10 and is about to start the 10th. And he's now, you know, as a witness to it saying, I like this. I think my fellow old school fans are going to like what we're doing. He's not super objective, however, but sure. sure. I hope I, I mean, I want to believe him and I hope he's right and I love him. So I'm going to roll with it, but it's, we certainly have concerns that it'll just be like, Oh, look, there's, tribbles and we're going back to planets we've been to before and things like that but we'll see yeah i'm i'm, I'm now leaning i i know i've gone into glasses half empty i'm now much more glasses half full i don't know why nice. you know it, 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 in anson i trust um it, something i liked <laughs> is that he said he's doing things personally as an actor that are challenging him on the show which i th- i like so yeah me too old school track it's not it shows that they're still taking risks. They're still doing things. There was something, you know, this is total side note, but one of the directors of photography for the show also shared that it was the last day. She did an Instagram story, not the last day, but the first day of the last episode. 
and she did an Instagram story, not showing anything off. She did show like the plaque of the um, USS Enterprise, which is now in bronze again, which is cool. But it was mostly showing all the lighting guys working and, and and the camera guys. And there was this lighting person who, I don't know what this was for, but she had created some strange thing where they had deconstructed a, a disco ball, essentially, and laid it all out flat in this huge blanket of mirrors that, you know, were all glistening. So obviously to create some kind of crazy lighting effect. So it just shows the kind there's like a lot of interesting creativity going on behind the scenes. And they all seemed all very excited. And I guess I just get excited when I see people who are excited. I get, you know, it's infectious. Yeah. And maybe it sounds like some of the spirit, if you think about the original series and all the creativity in terms of effects and looks and things they had to come up with. Um, it sounds like this is being done in that same spirit. But we still, I mean, it is still amazing that we still haven't seen a anything. single image, anything, <laughs> you know, because we've got two teaser trailers for Picard, which started shooting at the same time. And we've had a, with a calling a teaser trailer, but a fairly substantial teaser trailer for Discovery, which is coming this year. You know, I don't think there's anything nefarious to it. I think it's just simply that, Strange New Worlds is coming in 2022, and it's probably coming after Picard, and and certainly after Discovery, and possibly after Lower Deck Season 3. Oh, I hope not. I hope we get it before then. Well, I can see them maybe wanting to you know mix it up so they go Picard, Lower Decks. Yeah, but there's an appetite for Strange New Worlds in particular. Yeah. I don't think they'd want to hold it for that long, and... They want to start planning its future as well, which is hard to do if it's delayed in terms of airing. So we'll see what happens. Well, so let's talk about Picard because we've, we got a hint in a kind of a roundabout way of when we think it may be coming. And that is because Simon & Schuster announced a new book, Picard tie-in novel for April 22nd, 2022. And What's different about this tie-in novel from the previous ones is that it's set after the events of season one, right? So it's not – so like in, in August, there's a, a book focusing on Rios, but again, it's going to be kind of Rios' backstory. Yeah. The first book was a kind of a prequel to the show as well and – And a helpful setup, I'd like to add. Yeah, very good, you know, but yeah. – this this novel is going to sort of bridge the gap between seasons one and two. It would be strange for this to come out long before season two um, because of the way they want to avoid spoilers and stuff like that. So I think this book is going to come out shortly after season two starts, kind of like that first Una McCormick book came out shortly after season one started. So I think season Two of Picard is going to arrive in the first week of April. There's my prediction. Okay. I'm going to run with it. Because remember that we, we think Discovery is going to run basically through Jan, you know, start in December and run through January, February, and possibly into March as well. There will be maybe a few weeks gap, and then they'll start up on Picard. Now, the other things that are important about this book, so it's going to focus on Rafi. But the description of the book says that after the events of season one, Rafi's now thinking about rejoining Starfleet Intelligence or possibly working at Starfleet Academy. But then she gets distracted by some mission and goes off and does stuff. And that's what and the recruits book's about. her new pals to help her. 
including Dr. Gerardi, who I guess is not in jail. Is not <laughs> exactly. They're like, <laughs> oh, you murdered Bruce Maddox. Yeah, whatever. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. On one hand, you don't want her to go to jail because what's the point? On the other hand, you don't want them to just like hand wave it away. So, and they said they were going to deal with it. So they're going to hand wave it. I just, hopefully the hand wave is an elegant hand wave and not just something <laughs> lame. lame. Like I had a really good stern talking to, you know, by an admiral and I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to murder any more people. Well, what would be helpful is if they said, oh, when during that mind melt, there was something planted in her that made her do that, that was out of her control. That would be helpful. Right, which we've seen, yeah, people are never held responsible when they're, you know, being controlled by some entity. Um, Which seems reasonable, you know. Exactly. (laughs) But this, so this, if you guys remember way back two weeks ago, I laid out my Star Trek Picard season two theory. And a lot of it was focused on the teaser trailer that was released last month and... All, most of the tra- trailers pretty clearly some kind of alternate timeline where people are wearing black, etc., have a new badge. But there's one scene in there where Picard is wearing the new Starfleet badge. And we thought, well, maybe that's an alternate time where Picard never resigned from Starfleet. But my theory was that it was actually set after season one. And this kind of confirms that I feel like this book description that season one, season two, we're going to see Picard return as an admiral at the beginning. And we're going to see Rafi join Starfleet Academy because this this is getting into the weeds, but you know, it's a podcast. If you look at that scene in the teaser trailer and all the flags, one of the flags was for Starfleet Academy. So it makes sense that that little summit meeting was happening at Starfleet Academy and Rafi was seen in that scene. So she's either an instructor, you know, or something at Starfleet Academy teaching a, people. A how to guest be. lecturer. <laughs> yeah. And that all fits now into my thinking that season one starts that way. I mean, season two starts that way. Picard's back. Rafi's back there in Starfleet. Who knows what all the other people are doing? And then something weird happens. They all sent, get sent to the alternate timeline. Then Q shows up. Then they get sent back in time to 2024, 2025, sometime before World War III. Right. None of that is said in the book description. This is all, but now, <laughs> this is, I'm not saying that like, you know, they just confirmed all that, but they did mention that she is considering teaching at the Academy. So that was, that really caught my eye. The book is called second self, by the way. I don't think we said the title. Oh yeah. As if that matters. <laughs> yeah. um, and, um, you know, and it's written by Una McCormick who you've interviewed. She's, she's a, great. We should get her on the podcast at some point. Cause she's a lot of fun to talk to. Um, and she wrote that first Star Trek book, which you mentioned, um, a Star Trek Picard book, uh, last best hope i think it's called and she's written you know many other things including the janeway autobiography and all sorts of stuff that book should have been a prequel movie for the show i think it would have helped a lot yeah every once in a while something in the star trek extended universe which officially isn't canon but certainly when they're working with the writers and stuff season two was pretty much written a year ago you know so 
they had plenty of time to inform her because this book's not coming out until next April of what's going on. Mm-hmm. We know that it's not going to in any way violate season two. So the, the whole Starfleet Academy thing didn't come out of her mind. Um, that's got to have come from the writers. But sometimes things in the extended universe, I feel, are essentials a hard word to use. But if you are a if you're the listener of a podcast like this, that means you're you know you're fairly invested into Star Trek. You've crossed the line already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I would say that that book is essential for sure. Yeah, um, I I would agree. I think it it filled in a lot of the story that it made it richer, so that you understood a lot more watching it and i sometimes feel like when i'm when the last time i rewatched picard with all that stuff in my head i think it made it better and i think that would have been a great like when discovery premiered and they had those two episodes that were supposed to set things up but were separate from everything else that felt like a little much to me but that would have been perfect i think for picard a little setup i mean expensive for sure and well, Jordy was in it too. Um, and I'm yep. curious because we expect Jordy to show up in season three. He was involved in building the ships for the Romulan refugee crisis. Yeah. He was on Mars when it all blew up, but you know, we don't think he died. No, he's fine. Um, he's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, that would it would have been great. So I suspect that they'll keep that continuity when he shows up. And maybe we'll see some flashbacks to those elements of that book. Agreed. And there are more books coming, which we've talked about before. Um, there's the Coda Trilogy, which is uh, Dayton Ward, James Swallow, and David Mack are all contributing to that. The first one's out. Is Dayton's out or just announced? No. They're, they're all announced, but we now have the cover for the first book. Right. That's right. Uh, those kick off in September. I mean, what's great about that, the Coda Trilogy, is when Star Trek Picard was announced, essentially said, we're going to completely ignore all of those books that have been written for the last 20 years after Star Trek Nemesis books, you know, talking about Picard and Cisco and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, cause fair enough, that's, they're not going to, you know, try to create a show and stick to all of these, you know, dozens of novels that have been no, written. That were written before they even knew there would be a show. This is the same situation Disney was in when they took over Star Wars and they wanted to do, episode seven and they're like well we're not going to stick to all these books and so you know what disney did is said everything that we've done is now non-canon but we're going to start with new canon but what disney didn't do what cbs and paramount are doing is they're letting the that series of books have one last hurrah so these three books are going to be, they're going to have, you know, Cisco and Dax and Picard and Riker and, you know, the whole gang's there and they're going to go out in a blaze of glory. If so, if you've been reading all of those books, because they won't in any way tie into Picard or Lower Decks or anything, they, they're they going to tie into their own little bubble lit verse. Um, so that's coming later this year. There's a couple of new Star Trek authors so there's a book about Worf set during The Next Generation. There's a book about Dax set during DS9. Those are also coming out this year. Um, so there's a lot of Star Trek fiction coming for the rest of uh, 2021. And we've got previews of all those on the site. Um, we also have previews of the end of the Star Trek Year 5 comic book series which has been running for a couple years that's wrapping up this summer we have a preview of the issue coming out this week you can read the first five pages and we have covers and details for the last 
four issues and then that thing wraps up and then they do start a new series for next generation mirror universe stuff uh, later this year. So it's a good time for Star Trek literature. Yeah. Yep. So we've got more Picard, right? Yeah. Well, because our chatty friend is back basically. (laughs) (laughs) John Delancey still going strong. You go buddy. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. No one still shocked it. No one's told him to, Shut up. Um. Anyway, so he, uh, in his latest missives, you know, it's, he's often says a lot of the stuff we've covered before, but he's he revealed last week that he has two more episodes to shoot of Picard. He had said he was going to do a total of six. So that kind of tracks if Picard is wrapping up like Strange New Worlds, um, a season of work. Right? Because they're also 10 episodes. So it's possible Picard may be on track to wrap up its first season or its second season soon ish, you know, within a month or so. Could be. I mean, there's also all this talk of shooting season three, you know, doing two and three, you know, back to back. Right. He said that, but that would kind of imply. Well, we don't know if they're shooting them in order or not. Right. Because if, if Q, they started shooting in February, but he didn't start shooting until April. But we expect him to be in the first episode of season two. So it, it it's almost certainly they're shooting out of order. Who knows? Um, we haven't really gotten details on that. I mean, I think uh, it's safe to put him in the first and last episodes of season two, no matter what. But he said something that, even though he's saying that he's got two more episodes to do, he he also in talking, you know, in a, in general about his work on Picard, he described it as thusly: "It's my final carings on with Jean Luc Picard." So, at least in his mind, he sees this as the end of yeah. Q and Picard, at least, and their you know interactions. Well, I'm wondering, because he said in that same cameo, I think, he said, I come back not in a walker, but close to it. <laughs> Which could be just a cute thing, oh, I'm old, although he's not that old. But I also think that it could mean that maybe this, could this be something is happening to Q also? Maybe Q wants, has finally decided he wants to be mortal. I don't know. It's an interesting statement. Well, th- this gets back to the question of, Okay, so we said something happens and it throws Picard and gang into an alternate timeline. And, you know, we've had a debate, I think, here on the podcast and fans are talking of what what is the thing that causes that? You know, and for a while, we're, a lot of people were thinking it must be Q himself. Right. Like Q sent them in there to teach them a lesson for whatever reason, you know, a la tapestry. You know, or is it more all good things where he's, you know, something happened and he's kind of there to help another, you know, I guess another angle could be what if Q is now I'm just, you know, I, this is brand new thought of mine. Do it, do it. What if Q is dying and it's causing weird ripple effects through time? Right. That's what I was sort of wondering when I read that. And again, it's so hard to tell from his offhand statements. And he has in the past, you know, he gets actors' names and then characters' names and who knows. But I think that is one of the possibilities on the table right now. 
in, in a different cameo, he talks about how Q works best in a philosophical zone and that d- dealing with these moral questions is something that is something that he's been talking about or having discussions with, I assume, with the writers. Not just his dogs or cats or whatever. <laughs> um, I don't know, you know, so Q's dealing with big issues and maybe one of those issues is his own mortality. Who knows? Right. I mean, we've dealt with the Q continuum almost and that, you know, we've dealt with all of that stuff before on Voyager and in other shows, but this could be very personal to Q himself, which makes it a little more interesting to me. Yeah, as a side note in one of his cameos, he talks about the famous mariachi scene in Deja Q, which is iconic. And he reveals that the scene was shot like shortly before midnight, the day before Thanksgiving, and they had to finish it because of, you know, union rules or whatever. But they had to like wrap before Thanksgiving. And so they rushed it. And they and he says that he improvised it. That sort of fits what we talked about before, where he said he is the one who injected a lot of the humor into Q. Right. We know he didn't improvise the idea of the mariachi band, because then he would have had to have had a trunk in the back with costumes and a bunch of guys. Well, and and the girls. Right. 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 (laughs) The fantasy women. Yeah, don't get me. I have a lot to say about that. I'm saving that (laughs) for something else. Um, (laughs) But obviously, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago, I think, about how he said that on um, Encounter and Farpoint, he wanted to take Q in a more fun direction and was steered away from that by the director who didn't want that. And so I think this was the episode where he got to break free and be the Q that we know so well. Q blossoms into his full Q-ness. I think that future Q episodes definitely picked up on his more, you know, playful side. And so, you know, we're seeing, you know, another example of how he really helped shape the character. You know, he went to Juilliard. He knows what he's doing. He is a serious guy. (laughs) You know, he obviously had a, a notion of this character. Yeah. And I think, you know, he really helped make Q... Yeah, obviously he's, you know, he is, but um, he even said in another thing that, uh, I mean, kind of joking that there really is no difference between him and Q. Um, and Except uh, for the omnipotence. Right. <laughs> but that he's sort of playing himself. Anyway, so that's it for Picard stuff. And then Discovery, there's no big updates. We know they're still filming. And we're starting to get a little nervous. Some of the um, actors and people have dropped out of a uh, 55-year mission in Vegas that's happening in August. So we're guessing that they are running over their original plans and they're going to still be filming, which is why these people are unavailable. Yeah. I mean, the, the weird thing is, is that it, it's it looks like Strange New Worlds is going to wrap in July and Discovery started in November, which is you know, months before strange new worlds are now it we i don't think they've confirmed this but we're assuming it's going to be another 13 episode season so they do have more episodes to shoot but they went on a hiatus it's a more complicated show Mm -hmm. we're thinking it's just taking them longer than they were planning on and they they did have a covid thing where i think they had to shut down for two weeks at one point right yes they did I don't think they're going to go deep into August, but it may be something as simple as they've got 
a week or two to shoot after the convention. But as you've pointed out, as the, our expert in Canada, you can't just pop down to Vegas from Toronto and come back and start shooting again. Right. So right now you have to quarantine for two weeks. So they would have to do that, which they obviously can't afford to do time-wise because they're trying to wrap things up. But things, here's my hope, things are changing. So they're already starting, things have eased up a little bit for Canadian citizens returning, which actually I think some of those people are, I think Emily Coots um, and a few others are Canadian. Um, but also they're, they're looking, July 21st, they're looking to change the rules again um, and ease things up. So I have the secret hope that by then, the quarantine rules will have changed and there might be a way to get some of those people out and back in time. I mean, I'm certainly hoping to get to Toronto myself um, without having to do any of that craziness. So who knows? They've canceled, I think. They've canceled. A bunch of them have canceled, but I have a secret, silly hope that they will be able to make it there after all. Doug, Emily, Boyan, Wilson Cruz have all canceled, but Sonequa, Anthony Rapp, Barry Wiseman, David Ajala, David Tomlinson are still, quote, confirmed. So they're in this weird thing where like half the cast isn't there, half the cast. Obviously, you know, I mean, maybe it is as simple as like they've only got a couple days to shoot and they don't need the other people. Right. Um, but but it's hard to imagine they don't need Sonequa. I mean, that almost it's impossible to imagine they don't need Sonequa because she needs to be in everything. On the Strange New World side for, again, for the convention, for people who don't go to these conventions, sorry, we're talking about the convention so much, although we will be covering this on the site, so we won't be able to report any news from these people as well. But uh, Rebecca Remain is not going to be at Vegas. She had to cancel. And she was the only Strange New World star scheduled. On the Picard side... I think um, they're all, yeah, I think everyone from Card who's on the list is still going. So Jerry Ryan, Brent Spiner, who's part of season two, Evan, Michelle Hurd, Issa Brionis. So I have dibs uh, on interviewing Michelle Hurd. Just saying. <laughs> uh, Patrick was never scheduled to go to the convention. He doesn't go to a lot of these. Um, unless he's so. announcing, unless he's surprised announcing a new show starring himself. We're still very much looking forward to it. And there's a ton of other people going to this convention. They've got 117 people lined up. I mean, LeVar Burton, you know, all the all the usual suspects. One one person that did just cancel, which has got me, you know, thinking this could be related to Discovery, is Frakes. So if yeah. Frakes is directing the last episode of Disco, right? Because we knew he was going to do multiple discos. He, he, he was, I think, in January he directed an episode of discovery in April and May. I think he was working on Picard. So it wouldn't be surprising if he's freed up again to be doing disco in August. And, he and then literally just this week canceled. Right. And then even easing up on that quarantine wouldn't help because the director can't just leave and come back. I don't see how that would work. No. Um, <laughs> I'm very sad. It's my first Vegas convention and I was, actually extra excited about uh freaks being there but that's okay there's plenty of other people lots of lots of people going let's move on to possible future star trek shows there is no news about section 31 once again uh general francisco franco is still dead (laughs) i was gonna do news for the hard of hearing next (laughs) 
But there is some news about Michelle Yeoh. She was just cast in a new miniseries tied to The Witcher, the Netflix series. She's going to be appearing in the whole miniseries as a major character. And I think that's shooting this year. She's still shooting um, Avatar Avatar. movies uh, because they're making like 10 of those or whatever. All 47 of them. She's, you know, attached to various animated movies doing both. So she's, she's still very busy and it looks like she's definitely not going to be shooting a new Star Trek show this year. So, because if you remember after the plan, plan a was, they said was in 2020, they were going to start shooting a section 31 show with her right after they wrapped um, season three of discovery, which wrapped in February of 2020 and which sent her character off into new adventures. Right. And I, I think there was a plan at one point to start shooting in May. I mean, there was, there was the union sites were reporting it. Like the, this was happening at one point. It got very close. Obviously the pandemic happened. They decided to do strange new worlds. So there would, you know, so that maybe well, after the, they wrap season four of discovery, which is wrapping in August, as we've just gone on at length that maybe now they'll do the section 31 show well but, i think there's uh, more to it than that because i also think the tone of what they think people want has changed so i think when they were there's so much i i think the the section 31 show they were planning is not the show that we're going to get because i think the tone has changed in the world to a great degree and in terms of what people want from entertainment. And of course, things could shift again. But I think that they realized, oh, that's not maybe the story that they want to tell. And I think that the send-off they gave her on season three shows that that's actually not the story they want to tell, that they're leaving it very open. Agreed. but And, and I think I've said on this podcast that Section th- calling it the Section 31 show, the Section 31 show is only because when it was announced, that was kind of how they announced it. But it's really the Michelle Yeoh gets a Star Trek show show right? and whatever they want to do with her show. And I don't even think Section 31 is going to be a major part of it. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But my point is she's not going to be shooting any that show in 2021 after Discovery wraps, right. maybe in 2022, maybe never. Um, so there is no news on that. We've talked about her possibly popping into some of the other shows and there's now a way for her to do that. So who knows? She could turn up somewhere, but she's pretty busy for a while. Yeah, it's still, and it's still an open question on what Paramount Plus wants to do next with the next phase. And as we've talked on this podcast recently, there's now new management, a new structure at Paramount Plus, you know, all the people that, Alex was working with like Julie McNamara, they're all gone. And so I think all of that has put the future of what they want to do next into at least a reassessment. And, um, but they've got to start thinking soon about what they want on Paramount plus in 2024 Mm -hmm. and beyond for Star Trek. And that means they've got to really start deciding what the next, live action series is going to be, or if there is going to be another one, like, are they really going to stick with this one season, a quarter thing for some kind of Star Trek? And we, and we're pretty sure Picard is going to be done after season three. So then there'll be some space for something else. (laughs) There is an idea out there. 
<laughs> uh, for a show. Uh, and uh, it got a big endorsement this week. Earlier this year, we talked about Michael Dorn has been pitching his Captain Worf in the Klingon Empire show because doing 11 seasons of Star Trek isn't enough for him. He wants more. Which I have to say, when I just heard that was skeptical and when I read your interview with him where he talked about what his idea was for the show, I thought, oh, that's actually a really good idea. I was surprised. It is. It's, it's you know, it's, it's Captain not a Worf. practical idea in terms of where Star Trek is right now, but it's a good yeah. creative idea. Yeah, he leaves Starfleet, he joins the Klingon Empire, but the Klingon Empire is massively transforming and is kind of becoming a little more Starfleet-ish where they're trying to bring in groups and be more diplomatic. It's, it's, it, read, read my, right. yeah, I'm, not, I'm not doing it justice. Well, I think in a nutshell, they're trying to expand their empire without relying on conquering, which was their former method of expansion. So in an interview this week, uh, Marina Sirtis, or last week, basically said, that's the Star Trek show she think they should do next. Because, you know, she asked, what should they do next? You know, she could have said what she used to always say, which is they sh should do a show about the Rikers. Yeah. Right? You know, her and Jonathan. But, no, she pointed to the Michael Dorn idea. And she said, yeah, that, you know, Troy would show up, uh, as one would expect, every once sure. in a while. But it's set in the Klingon Empire. Um so I don't think she'd be a major part of it. So she wasn't saying, uh, you know, this would be for me. It's more she she just backs this idea. I mean, I think that there's like a, a I mean, a close to zero but non-zero yeah. chance this thing ever thinking, happens. Yeah, I think zero is probably accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even going to say a 47% chance because I think it's a 0% chance. It was the point four seven percent there you go that's it there's a point four. yeah and she also so she's been talking a little in some interviews she also talked about how she wasn't nervous being on star trek picard because she's she said i've been playing troy for 30 years on and off so it was easy for her to settle back in there was a funny angle to that which is when they called her she was doing a play in london and she did say that she wished she lied and told them when it was um over you because know, she had to say no um because she was doing a play in london and that they said well can't you just leave <laughs> and she joked like how you know like just how hollywood people don't respect the theater basically because she's like you can't just leave and leave right. it to your under she said i don't even have an understudy um and uh <laughs> You know, she's there, you know, name is above the title. She can't just right. say, oh, I got to go to Hollywood for two weeks, you know. But so they had to do a lot of arrangement. And when they finally did it, she said, oh, by the way, I kept my wig and contact lenses. And they didn't even know about that. Like, oh, you wore contact lenses on the show? You wore a wig on the show? Because um, apparently after <laughs> Nemesis, the hair and makeup people gave her the stuff. They're like, you might as well keep it just in case they ever need you again. Sure. It's, it's going to get... Showing how they were thinking at the end of Nemesis, like they all knew it was over. They're like, "This stuff's going to get lost unless you t you literally take it." So, but the Picard people didn't even know they needed a a, a special Troy wig and special Troy contact <laughs> lenses. So, anyway, what were you saying? You were saying something on one of the podcasts she was talking about. Yeah, so she was on Gates McFadden's podcast, um, and it might be my new favorite episode 
of that podcast. If you are at all, the thing is, you know, people talk about Maureen and they, oh, she's so outspoken and she says all these crazy things and whatever. If you listen to that podcast, you will have a greater sense of, she says the one thing she regrets about herself that she wishes she could change is that she can't shut up. That she just says these things. And she tells a very funny story about being in an elevator with LeVar Burton and this man and his daughter. And she says this terrible thing to the man that she doesn't even realize. And afterwards, LeVar turns to her. I mean, it's better to let her tell the story, but basically just tells her like, you're, t- you're terrible. But, <laughs> but she's uh, moved back to England. Um, which she hadn't done yet, I guess, when she was talking on the podcast. But she said it's because she doesn't have to audition when she's there. She just gets work. And she talked about how much she hates self-taping, how she's never gotten a job from self-taping. I've heard Wilson Cruz with the exact same complaint. He says, I don't know how to light. I don't know how to film. It's kind of ridiculous that I have to self-tape when that's not in my skill set. Um, so... She does talk about that, but well worth listening to. I had a listen last night and I couldn't, once I started, I couldn't stop. That was it. I stopped what I was doing and sat down and listened to the rest. So I highly recommend it. We've got another upcoming television show to talk about that isn't technically Star Trek, but is is essentially Star Trek. (laughs) Galaxy Quest, which a lot of people consider to be one of the best Star Trek movies, came out in 1999. You know, it's it's a parody, it's a spoof, but it's so lovingly tied to Star Trek, both the show and the fandom, really. It's kind of a dual track thing that I consider, in a way, part of the franchise. And for the last 20 years, there have been lots of talks about doing a sequel or a TV series, and it's kind of been on again, off again, the death of Alan Rickman who plays essentially the Leonard Nimoy character in that certainly put a crimp into any plans, but there's movement again, apparently on this. And the interesting angle is that Simon Pegg is, is now working on the, the uh, a television show we think for Amazon. And he's working with uh, Georgia Pritchett, who's, won multiple Emmy awards is very well regarded. She works very closely with um, Armande Anucci, who she's British. She's British. You know, he, he did the show Veep. He is doing the show Avenue five, which is on HBO. No, which is great. I love Avenue five. It's a very, and um, Ethan Phillips is on Avenue five. And she works on succession, which people consider to be the best drama on television right now. I, I think it's, if not the best, one of the best. Fantastic show. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's essentially like, uh, you know, a fictionalized version of the Murdoch family. But it's, you know, it's all sorts of high-flying, corporate, infighting, family dynamic stuff. And fantastic cast. Cool. Anyway, yeah, so she's a very serious person. Simon Pegg has got quite a extensive resume when it comes to comedy and science fiction. Obviously, both writing and acting. So maybe this time it'll happen. I mean, the last person attached to this was Paul Shearer, who ha- he has a Star Trek connection to because he's one of the voices on Star Trek Lower Decks. And also a crazy longtime fan of Star Trek since he was a little kid. He's got great stories. So I, it, it's unclear whether the Peg Project, Peg Pritchett version, is tied to that, the Shear version. But what Shear 
his concept was before it kind of died a few years ago was that the galaxy quest cat cast in, in universe have to deal with the fact that a new cast has been brought in to reboot the galaxy quest franchise, a la the 2009 star Trek movie, which he said sort of inspired him. So it'd kind of be like, you know, a Shatner Chris Pine dynamic going on where there'd be a, you know, a new younger crew. And so it'd be funny if it's still Simon Pegg, if he was working on that version of the show, cause he obviously has some is, connection. Yes. It's like the most meta thing he could possibly do is write a show about a show like star Trek about a crew that was getting replaced and recast. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows if this thing will ever happen, but Amazon has been throwing tons of money at tons of things. You know, they bought The Expanse. They're doing Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know, they just bought MGM. So who knows? They're probably going to get Stargate going. I think I would would I would be surprised if this doesn't happen at some point. Sigourney Weaver said she thinks it's happening again recently. She said that in March. You know, if this happens, just like the Orville, we're going to cover galaxy quest as if it's star trek so you know get ready for people on the site to say this isn't star trek why are you covering it and we're just gonna say because we want to because i love it which means i need to i've probably seen that movie once and didn't love it i think because i'm just i find tim allen challenging um <laughs> but although doesn't bother me in Toy Story. I think he's terrific in that. So I think it's probably time. I think maybe we should rewatch it in Vegas altogether. That's a great idea. I think I need to watch it in a crowd. You know how some movies you watch by yourself and it's a comedy and it doesn't work for you because you're by yourself. So I think maybe uh, with a bunch of Star Trek fans and people that I really like and admire, <laughs> maybe I will develop an appreciation for it. Well, and you'll be watching it with Christine, who's Who, a Galaxy Quest super fan. It's she, her favorite movie of all time, I think. Right. right? She cosplays as Galaxy Quest. Yep. She appears in the Galaxy Quest documentary, which is an excellent documentary, by the way. Even if you're not a huge fan of the movie, it's just a good documentary. And that's on Amazon, by the way. And she's horrified whenever I say that it's not a movie that I care about. So... Well, you, you you need to you need to get on board. I'm telling you. All right. Well, let's do it in Vegas. <laughs> okay. Let's transition to talking about more movie stuff, real, actual, genuine Star Trek movies. Um, going back to the beginning, to the first yeah. Star Trek movie, pre-existing Star Trek. So, Star Trek: The Motion Picture uh, is beloved by a lot of fans. Some people think it's a little slow. Um, but it certainly, it was very cinematic as directed by Robert Wise, 1979. It had I a think, huge budget. I just want to say something about the slowness for one second, which is the, if you understand the context in which, when that movie came out and how there had been no Star Trek and suddenly there was, they were all back. The slowness was, in my opinion, a gift to fans because it gave us time to take in. We felt the same excitement Kirk did seeing that ship. So that slow <laughs> movement to me was very, was just feeding my little kid brain watching it going, yes, bring it in slowly. This is perfect. I don't want to take it all in at once. I want to take one piece at a time. Okay, speech done. I've grown to appreciate Star Trek The Motion Picture more as I've become an adult and I can yeah. see it. 
connect it's it's more in tune with other 70s sci-fi like silent running and of course you know 2001 space odyssey which was 1969 but the my when i saw it as a very young child i was like i don't get this movie this isn't as fun as star wars or as the original series and and uh, it's so i i and i still agree with that inner child of me saying but I, it's a beautiful <laughs> movie. I love the movie. It's my got a lot of great stuff in it. My inner child was just going, <gasps> I think. And it, yeah, yeah. And, and I did, <laughs> you know, it was, it was awesome seeing Star Trek so big and beautiful and no ship is more beautiful. Um, but anyway, that's the, we're getting off on a tangent. I Maybe know, we'll do sorry. a whole podcast about the movies, but Robert Wise was always unhappy with some of the stuff. I mean, it, famously, you know, they were, printing off a print before the premiere it wasn't completed in his mind and so in 2001 he got to do what he considered a director's cut and a new special effects it was a re-edit there was some bits added there were some stuff removed and moved around and that was called the director's edition um and it was released on dvd which was, you know, the cutting edge technology. Actually, it wasn't, I mean, it was the best you can have at the time, but the world was just starting to switch to HD. Remember, Star Trek Enterprise started that year. That was in HD. But there was no HD version of this. And so when you watch Star Trek, the motion picture now on streaming in HD, it's the theatrical cut. The Blu-ray that was released was the theatrical cut. And fans have been saying, you know, we want the director's edition in HD and this week Paramount, you know, which we've kind of been waiting for them. We knew this was happening, um, but they said, yep, we're going to do it. We're going to restore it in 4K HDR, all the bells and whistles. The same team who worked with Robert Wise, who passed away um, shortly after he made the director's edition, but the same team are back, uh, Darren Docterman and all those guys, and they're going to make it for Paramount Plus initially. So it's going to be streaming exclusively next year on Paramount Plus. Um, and then we, they didn't say this, but we're assuming it'll then be released after a quote exclusive window on, you know, maybe other streaming services and we're hoping on, you know, Blu-ray. So we're very excited about that. There's going to be more extensive coverage of that on the site. Brian and Matt are super excited about this more than, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm excited about this, but they get like way into the details on this kind of stuff and the 4k stuff and all that. And they're big, huge fans of that movie, like maybe even more than I am. And I'm a really big fan of it. Yeah. So look for the shuttle pod to cover this more and we'll cover it more on the site. Then after Paramount announced that they also announced that they're going to be remastering or they've actually already done most of this work, but they're going to be releasing newly remastered cuts in 4k HDR of the first four star Trek movies in a box set. Um, and that's coming out this year. So that won't include, it's a little weird. So that, that will include a new remaster of the theatrical cut of the motion picture, along with, Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, and The Voyage Home in a four-movie box set coming out in September. That was just announced. We do have 
a picture of the box art, which I'm not a huge fan of. No, it's not very attractive. <laughs> not, and it, there's some weird questionable artwork on there. And the, you know, it's, for some reason, <laughs> the, the enterprise is wrong. They've used the phase two enterprise. I mean, maybe they're being artistic and they're trying to give it a kind of seventies vibe. I don't know. And people are saying, why are they doing the first four movies together? I think, the plan is to do three box sets for the first 10 movies because all the JJ movies are available in 4K HDR. Obviously, it's modern movies. Right. Now they're going now the first 10 movies are all going to be out eventually. And it looks like what they're going to do is they're going to do the first four, then they're going to do Star Trek 5, 6 and 7, which is Generations as a kind of, you know, farewell to Kirk series or whatever i don't know and then they're going to do the last three together uh with first contact insurrection and nemesis that hasn't been confirmed yet but that's kind of the rumor thing all we know for now for sure is in september box set first four movies in 4k hdr and all all the special features it's an eight disc set it's you know packed with stuff and an ugly box they're also you know, this is just pure packaging, but some people like these things. They're re-releasing the original series Blu-ray set, same exact set that they released years ago, but now in Steelbook with new artwork, and that is kind of cool looking. So if you're a collector of Steelbooks um, and you're ready to quadruple dip your purchase of the original series, yeah. then uh, you can get that for pre-order for 110 bucks. Um, that's coming out same day, September 7th, which is, this is all to celebrate the 55th anniversary. And people ask why September 7th instead of September 8th, which is the actual anniversary. But, um, you know, books and DVDs and stuff always come out on Tuesdays. So, you know, that's, they have no control over it. And then you can watch everything on the anniversary because it'll already be at your house. Exactly. Because you got it the day before. <laughs> I mean, I think I think the packaging on the last collection they did was actually beautiful. If you aren't interested in getting the big box set, they're also going to release the movies individually on Blu-ray as well. But we don't have details on that. So a lot of this is brand new information, so we don't know everything yet. What else are they doing for the 55th anniversary of Star well, Trek? Star Trek Four is coming back to theaters which is fun, just for two nights in August through Fathom, which does a lot of those fun events. I'm glad they're doing two nights. They're showing some confidence that people are ready to go back to theaters and ready to see a movie from 1986. So that means this year is the 35th anniversary. I wish it was while we were all going to be in Vegas because we could go together, but it's not. That would have been fun for sure. Well, that wraps up all the new sort of Star Trek stuff, but we've got a few fun classic Trek updates for you. Because um, there have been some new interviews and things going around, including a fantastic interview with LeVar Burton in the New York Times um, that got into some great stuff. It's it's just, it all, I would say it gives you a window into how he thinks. You know, let's just stop for a second to say that, I mean, this is one of many interviews he's done recently. So it's a really good interview. But LeVar is on a charm offensive in the media, mm-hmm. right? He did an interview with USA Today, I think. He, I mean, he is out there with a with a singular message, which is, I want to be the permanent host for 
Jeopardy. And I, because if you look at all, because there's, you know, a lot of people have been, are guest hosting, they aren't doing this kind of stuff. And some of them said they would like the permanent job, but more than anyone, he is campaigning. Yeah. So kudos <laughs> to him. I, you know, I don't know if he's going to get it or not, but uh, he's going to be heartbroken if he doesn't, because he's trying well, really hard. He's not, you know what? In that interview, he says, I'll be fine. He's, like he talks about how much he, he wants that. it, but he's nobody. He, I mean, it's in a Zen kind of way that I think is revealing of well, who he, he is. That he, he recognizes is a Zen kind of guy, right? But he's and definitely so trying hard. He wants it point. very badly. He's obviously going to be deeply disappointed. He won't be crushed, but he is going to be deeply disappointed if he doesn't get it. Um, That's true. And his air that you can see him starting July twenty sixth. He'll be hosting, and I'm definitely going to watch that. And if there was a way I could go vote, I would, because I think he's great and he deserves it. He says it's been his lifelong dream. It's part of everything he's sort of worked towards. So, but he says he'll be okay. I'm sure he will be. He's a great <laughs> fit for it. So, and in that same interview, he talked a little bit about um, Next Generation and just about the fact that, you know, Jordy never got the girl. And he thought that that was just a sort of tired old trope and that he, you know, if he was doing it again, he'd say something about it. He kind of, for LeVar, because remember, he's not Marina. <laughs> he, <laughs> he got very close to... Criticism. Criticizing the, the writers of Star Trek. Yeah. Because um, he said it lacked creativity or something like that. Yep. And, uh, you know, which is for LeVar, big for him to say something like that. I think, because he's obviously been talking to the producers of Star Trek Picard... And he has definitely ideas and he has telegraphed that he's going to appear in season three. He said he's definitely not appearing in season two, but uh, he's indicated that he is going to show up. So we expect that to be season three. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets them to give LeVar a um, girlfriend or a wife. What do you think? Jordy, you mean? LeVar already has a right. wife. LeVar, yeah. He's wife. <laughs> yeah. He's married. He's got a child. He's doing great. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As a side note, but I'm gonna, we're going to put it in the show notes. Just today I came across a picture of LeVar's wedding from when they were deep into Next Gen. It was like maybe season three or four. And it's just this great photo of the whole cast together at his wedding. Um, with his wife so we'll oh, that that's nice notes. yeah i remember i mean jonathan frake saying that they he's we all st stood up for each other at our weddings you know they're all each other's kids godparents and they were all witnesses at each other's weddings so it's a nice i yeah I'm, i want to see that photo but let's see yeah but let's see jordy you know married family life and no longer the the guy who could never get the girl the awkward nerd who can't get the girl yeah that kind of thing you know that won't be the point of his appearance so he will be there to deal with something to deal with data or something who knows and it'll be nice to see that that part of his life is resolved and happy because Jordy deserves it exactly the last bit of classic trek stuff we have is something near and dear to you that you picked up from your favorite podcast the delta it flyers it is my i think it is my favorite podcast the delta flyers it's the one podcast i never ever miss an episode of and i try to listen to almost as soon as it comes out and i'm watching one voyager a week to keep up with it so the delta flyers which is uh robbie mcneil and garrett wong and 
they were talking about the scene, the episode Rise this week, which is like a Neelix Tuvok kind of episode. So they had Ethan Phillips on and Tim Russ. And Ethan Phillips started talking about a farewell scene with Cass. They were basically complaining about the fact that Neelix and Cass have broken up and they have this moment together that isn't a moment. It's a non-moment. And there's sort of no acknowledgement that these two characters have had a connection for the all the previous episodes of the series. And he says that they actually had like a post breakup scene written and filmed with him and Jennifer lean as Cass talking about their relationship and putting some closure on it. And, you know, we've heard this before. There's the, the, one of the Voyager books, the Voyager, what's is the Voyager companion has, um, has a half page scene in there. And they say, this is the entire scene that was done and it does take place in the science lab, which is where he said it took place. But Philip said that it was a five to six page scene. He said it was really touching and beautiful and he's very sad that it never aired. And the others were all quite surprised to hear about the existence of this scene. That they shot. Yes. Saying. Yes. That they filmed. And but it's not in the, it's not in the deleted scenes of the Voyager DVDs. I think they never edited. That was Tim Russ's guess. And I think that's correct that they probably ran out of time. I mean, I think that's correct. Like, what do I know? But um, that they ran out of time. Even once they decided they weren't going to use it, they just didn't even edit it. It sounds like. And I could certainly see Rick Berman. Yeah, this isn't a slam on Rick Berman, but it, it is, you know, in his mind at the time, he's like, look, you know, they don't think in serialized fashion and, right. like, you know, we don't need this. Um, so if we got to get this to fit, because that was the day the shows had to, you know, really nail down the time. He's like, yeah, we could lose this for sure. And there was so much pressure on Voyager at that time to be the kind of show that someone could just pick a random episode and just watch it. Which is why, you know, they all talked about how Voyager sometimes, and not always, but sometimes failed its characters in that way by not letting those relationships play out. Like they did great things with Tom and Belana, who really got to both evolve and change as people and then become a couple. But they they pointed out especially like the Chicote Janeway romantic tension that was there when it was convenient to put into an episode and then they just ignored it when it wasn't. It's sad because it was so important to him. I mean, really, Kess and Neelix, it was the foundation of those characters was their relationship with each other when they were introduced. It was so essential to both. And but but also kind of icky. And he says that he says we know that it was an uncomfortable relationship, that he was so much that the actor was the actor's had a huge age difference and then the characters had a huge age difference. Right. Well, she was technically three Two. years older. Two, yeah. yeah, I know yeah, that it's, is that is whole, so gross. The whole Ocampan really lifespan <laughs> thing doesn't make any sense because they have adults and children, and if you have a nine-year lifespan, there's just it just doesn't it doesn't jibe. It doesn't work. It's 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 something that like you would use in like a book. Maybe it doesn't work well at all on a television show because no. the character should be aging super rapidly. And yeah, it was. There were so many things that like worked in theory. I, this is total tangent, but <laughs> it, it, everything on Voyager was – I liked the show, but there were so many elements that worked in theory but then just didn't work. Like the Kazon, when you hear Michael Piller talk about them or describe them, you're like, that sounds great. And then you look at the Kazon and see how they played out. You're like, wow, that's just terrible. 
Yeah. You know, there's so many frustrations I have with that show because I love it, but it was, you know, every once in a while it was great. And those are the times you go, why isn't it like this all the time? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm now getting, we need to do a whole podcast on Voyager someday to talk about it. Cause I, I have so, yeah. And I'm a huge fan. I love it. It definitely had some massive missteps and some clunkers, maybe more clunky than most other clunkers from the other <laughs> shows, but also fantastic stories the characters in my mind did evolve, did change. And I think they did stuff on that show that they didn't do anywhere else. Right. I mean, they certainly gave the the irony is that they really gave Tom and Bellana's relationship time to work. And that really evolved well, which is why it shows you like how they totally dropped the ball on this Cass Neelix thing. And yet they let the Tom and Bellana thing happened organically and right. And I thought that was a great arc, which is yet another you know example of how on one hand they do something right. And the other hand, they, they do something wrong and it's hard to put those together, but that's kind of the show. Yeah. And you know what, if you are a Voyager fan and you haven't listened to the Delta Flyers podcast, you are missing out. I know I talk about it too much because I'm obsessed with it, but it's, <laughs> it's there. They have writers on, they have other actors on, they have behind the scenes people on. And the way they talk about the show is in this very thoughtful, fascinating, fun way. I laugh out loud a lot. I'm surprised by the insights that I hear. And they're just two great guys to listen to. Okay, sorry. I'm done. I just love them. And they love you. (laughs) I hope so. I certainly promote them enough. So that's it for our kind of news and general stuff roundup for the week, right? Yeah. It's time just to wrap things up. So let's do our Star Trek bits of the week, our favorite little things that got our attention. Mine is just a tweet from Dave Batista, who's, you know, from Guardians of the Galaxy, and he stars in the new Army of the Dead movie with Jake Dotaro. Major star? You'd call him a major star? Yeah. Right? I think so. Someone tweeted to him that... I think it was it Jay be- Stobie, by the way, who's like yeah, a Star yeah, Trek Jay writer. Stobie. Yeah, he's... I mean, not a Star Trek writer for the shows, but he writes for Star Trek.com. He writes for Star Trek Magazine and Star Wars Magazine. You guys would get along. Um, but he's been writing about Star Trek for a long time and interviewing everybody. Right. So he just said it would be great to see Dave Batista, and he tagged him in Star Trek, you know, because he's been in other big franchises. And Batista replied saying likewise that he agrees and i love what he says is i was born to be a klingon just saying (laughs) and when you look at him you're like yeah he would make a great klingon and it's great to see a big star like this so we've seen other stars like rosario dawson and tom hanks and other people talk about how they'd like to be in star trek and it's just i think it's just fun when we see big stars and again this is you know hey paramount pictures we know you're cooking up a couple star trek movies uh jj you know give Dave Batista a call. Yeah. I think it's a good idea. He, he couldn't hurt with the box office. <laughs> yeah. He's a fun, he seems like a fun guy. And I think his moments in those guardians of the galaxy movies are very memorable. Yeah. So what's your bit of the week? So mine is in honor of all the books that we were talking about earlier. I was, you know, I don't read a lot of the fiction books and I've said that before, but when I was a kid, I did. And I wanted to bring up this book from 1976 that two of the stories from it have stuck with me in my head for all these years, even though I probably haven't read them since I was a kid. So Star Trek The New Voyages was a collection edited by Sandra Marshak and Myrna Culbreath, who did a lot of these Star Trek collections. And they actually did a memoir with 
William Shatner. They worked on a book with him back then. Um, and back in the day, this is a book. It's every story. It's short stories, all written by fans. Gene Roddenberry wrote the foreword to the book. Every story is introduced with a with an introduction from an from a Star Trek star. So DeForest Kelly, William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, everybody. Um, and as you can pick it up for about six bucks, I think used. Although I saw a signed copy by DeForest Kelly for two hundred and forty-five dollars, which I would like to have. Um, but the two stories that I remember the most that I wanted to bring up: one is called Mind Sifter, um, and it's about Kirk having his mind wiped by Kor, and then running to look for Edith in the past. And he's in this what was an insane asylum back then. And as a kid, I found it so emotionally gutting reading this that I just will remember it my whole life like Kirk with his mind lost and if he says his name it freaks him out so he's Jimmy so that's the first <laughs> one very emotional story and then the other one which was apparently a sequel although I never saw read the original it's called visit to a weird planet revisited um and in that story the, it's sort of like that mirror universe moment on the transporter, except it's Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and they get swapped with the actors. So in this story, it's Shatner, uh, Nimoy, and Kelly on the actual Enterprise. And I guess the original one was the other way, was the characters showing up on set. But as a kid, I probably read that story a thousand times, and it just delighted me. And then the only other thing I noticed, and I didn't remember this story, was there's a story called Nivar, um, which might be the first mention of that. And the introduction by Leonard Nimoy says, I am reliably informed that Nivar is a Vulcan term dealing with the dualities of things. Every once in a while, the current Star Trek writers dip into the litverse and turn something into canon. In fact, we're seeing this on Star Trek Prodigy. And that's always fun, especially when they go to deep dive all the way back to the 70s. So yeah, Navarre was not, yeah, I think we noted that on the site when it was first revealed that it was, that they were grabbing that from some classic Star Trek literature. And it's all stories by fans. So that's, there you go. Finn starts writing something. And next thing you know, it's in a series decades later. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, Una McCormick herself, who's writing, you know, we started off talking about her big new Star Trek novels. She used to be a fan fiction writer. She talked about it in your yep. interview with her. Yep. So you never know. Fan yep. fiction writers out there writing your Kirk slash Spock fiction someday. <laughs> <laughs> and in the in the Star Trek The New Voyages book from the I still have my edition that I bought, I guess, when it came out. Um, they actually have like a post office box or an address where you can send your stories for submission. But I wouldn't recommend sending them now. Thank you again for listening. So we've got a handful of Fridays for All Access Star Trek before Friday, August 13th, Friday the 13th, um, when we'll be back to weekly episode reviews for the first episode of Season 2 of Star Trek Lower Decks. Although we'll also be talking uh, Las Vegas then, because that's where we'll be. We might have to do two episodes that week or something because that could be the world's longest podcast if we end up doing a thing all about Vegas and all about the first episode of uh, Lower Decks. So we'll see what happens. And we'll be together. Live and in person in oh Vegas. God. Oh, my God. Sober. Yeah. At least maybe one beer. Each. I don't like beer. So you have to get me a cocktail. 
Uh, well, I'm up. I'm up for that too. So, <laughs> okay. you guys have that to look forward to. It's it's it'll be drunk uh, all access Star Trek in August. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>